As children, most of us have a vision of what we want to be, but few grow up to be exactly what they see. Bob Potter did. He saw Ringo Starr playing drums with the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show and thought, That's a good job. <laughs> wow. Today, he is Ringo Starr, or he plays him, in one of the world's top Beatle tribute bands, 1964 The Tribute. We'll learn about him and his unusual job today on The Off-Ramp with Bob Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. On February 9, 1964, the world of pop music changed forever. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles! That's the night a new English group, the Beatles, were introduced to American television audiences on The Ed Sullivan Show. It's a night baby boomers would remember well into their elderly years. Because, well, the music of the Beatles changed the world. It also changed the life of 14-year-old Bobby Potter of Lawrenceville, Illinois. He'd already been playing drums for four years, but that night sealed the deal. The Beatles inspired him. And in high school, he played in three teenage bands at the same time and went on to become a professional musician, playing in Las Vegas, Los Angeles, New York, and venues around the country and after a long and winding road, has spent the last 10 years as a member of 1964 The Tribute, one of America's top Beatle tribute bands, portraying, guess who, the drummer he saw on his family TV screen so many years ago, Ringo Starr. As children, we all have a vision of what we want to be, but few grow up to be exactly what they see. <laughs> Bob Potter did. Well, Bob and I share something in common. I was in one of those three bands Bob was in in high school, but I didn't grow up to be a professional musician. I hadn't seen Bob in 50 years until I picked him up at the Milwaukee airport one Friday afternoon in January 2020. That's when he flew into town on business from Orlando. The business was his band's Saturday night performance at one of Milwaukee's greatest old theaters, the Pabst. As I said, Bob's been portraying Ringo Starr for the past 10 years, and I immediately saw that Bob looked the part, with a physique as slender as a teenager's. We spoke with him the night before his performance at the Pabst Theater. First, let's, let's start by saying, I think the big headline is that Rolling Stone magazine called your band the greatest Beatles tribute organization on earth. On earth, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it's a great uh, quote that we stand by, and... Uh, are very thankful. So this is more than just being a professional musician. This is also an acting gig. Um, that's correct. Uh -huh. We're not only entertainers, but actors performing also. Because you're actually performing as the, the biggest band in the world, and as a drummer, you just happen to be performing as Ringo Starr. Well, yeah, I mean, the Beatles, you have four different personalities. Mm -hmm. And uh, to be honest, I'm still watching videos. I'm still watching DVDs and anything I can get my hands on. It's just endless, it seems to be. I mean, I always 
notice a little idiosyncrasy every time I watch something. You know, like, oh, I never saw that before. Mm -hmm. I have to ask this because there have been so many people over the years, critics, who have said Ringo wasn't a very good drummer. What's your take on that? Underrated. Ringo played for the song. He didn't overplay or underplay. He played for the song. And if you listen closely to some of the early stuff, the guitars are starting to fall back in tempo. And he's like, you can't get a pin in between his beats. Uh, That's another thing that he has. He has perfect timing. Yeah, he's very underrated and just played for the song. And he created very interesting little fills, unique things for the songs. Those were all his ideas. He did get some ideas from Paul and John because... It was their songs. Right, yeah. They said, I want this in here. Don't do this. Don't, don't cover this up, right. etc. Yeah. He basically was every bit as much of a creator in those tunes as Lennon McCartney and, and Harrison. It wouldn't have been the Beatles without Ringo. You've played a lot of other different drum styles too, right? I, mean, I have. Yeah. I have. Actually, my forte is 50s and 60s and 70s. But since I was a Beatle fan from basically birth... <laughs> It just, you know, it was something that came natural. Yeah. Last week in Annapolis, the guy that makes our suits went together with our our producer and bought Ringo's suit that he wore in a hard day's night. And I got to try on the coat last week. I had to wear gloves so I wouldn't touch the material. Because it's a museum piece now. It travels. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm the only person that's had it on since Ringo. Your costumes are custom made for your band. And then your wigs, they're made by uh, a person, too? Oh, uh, Henry Margu, Jean Renault. They're wig entrepreneurs. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. they're, they're expensive wigs. Yeah. You were a Beatles fan growing up, too. Oh, from the get-go. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't even sleep <laughs> the night of February 9th, 1964. What did your parents say when they watched the Beatles? My dad said, in a year from now, nobody will know who they are. Oh, yeah, a flash in the pan. Well, no, they never said that. Uh, my mom was probably the most vocal the first thing she said when they focused on Paul and showed his name at the bottom, yeah, she said, oh, he's cute. <laughs> 30 million girls probably said the same thing at the same time. And their mothers, too, probably. Yeah, and their right? mothers, too. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, when I saw him on Ed Sullivan. What'd you think? That's a good job. <laughs> wow. But I'd started playing drums in the fifth grade. When they were on Ed Sullivan, I was 14. Actually, I was still 13. But I got my first set of drums when I was 12. Well, now tell me about the act. Tell me what the act is all about and what it focuses on. There's probably 180 Beatle tribute acts in the world. And there's probably only maybe three or four top-tier shows. Fortunately, we're in that number, in the top. And what separates us from a lot of other shows is we try to perform the way the Beatles did live. Three guitars and drums. Nothing recorded. We don't try to produce the record on stage. We don't go through all four eras, the mustaches, the psychedelic era, whatever, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And I've seen other groups do that era. For <clears throat> yeah, and, and I'm telling you, some of these other groups are really good at that, okay? But this is what separates us from that. So you've got that high-energy performance like the Beatles had that exactly. we see in all the films. Exactly, all the, all, the, all the energy all the camaraderie, the bantering on stage. We do add something that the Beatles didn't do, 
which is crowd participation, because the songs range from late 63 through 66, and that was basically all the hand-clapping, sing-along fun stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we involve the crowd on a couple of songs. We, We have them stand up during Twist and Shout, and he separates the audience right down the middle. One side's John Lennon, the other side's Paul and George. <laughs> you know, so the Paul and George sing the backup, and then John Lennon's sing lead. It's really, really a lot of fun. Now, Ringo sang a few songs back in that era. Do you sing those songs? Um, I do. I did sing Boys a couple years ago, and then I picked up I Want to Be Your Man, and I'm doing that now. And then Act Naturally in the second set. Do you have multiple shows? Is there one version you perform? Uh, it's basically the same show wherever we go. But at the first of the year, we switch things around. But basically, it's concentrated on the number ones. Sounds cool. Yeah. Oh, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I look forward to it all the time. Well, and you love the music, too, right? Well, yeah. yeah. It's timeless. Absolutely. And, and the you know, what's really enjoyable, too, is seeing a seven-year-old sitting next to a 70-year-old. And the seven-year-old is singing and mouthing the words. That is just something that's unbelievable. It's precious, isn't it? Yeah. The way it crosses generations. Yeah. The, the mind-blowing part of it is, is it hasn't died. Bob's right. Recently, after one of his band's performances, Teen Beat News interviewed several young concertgoers, kids who've only seen the Beatles in historic film clips. They not only enjoyed the live show, they love Beatle music. The Beatles were no doubt one of the greatest, if not the greatest, rock band ever. By the way, this clip that you're watching isn't really the Beatles. These musicians are playing the roles of the Beatles. It's part of a concert tour called 1964 The Tribute. I thought it was an excellent show. It was really good. It was wonderful. I mean, like, I was dancing and singing. It was the best. My favorite part was when they, when they like, everybody was, like, clapping and, like, singing at the same time. It was cool. I loved um, most of the parts where we got to stand up and dance. Um, Twist and Shout was really fun. Yeah, they sounded almost exactly like them. There's no comparing them. I mean, they inspired so many people. They're like the foundation for like all other musicians to like build upon. And nobody can really beat the Beatles. I mean, can you? Is it possible? No. So this band had been going for like 10 years before you joined? Oh, no. Now it's going on 36. Okay. How did it start? And who started it? Um, actually, it was a fluke. What turned out to be the John and the Paul in this show were playing together in a group, in a club, and they did a Beatle medley. And every time they did that medley, they would get cornered on their break and say, hey, you guys are really good. You should think about putting a tribute band together. And this was like 1987 or something, you know, somewhere around there in the 80s. So that was when a cover band wasn't necessarily a cool thing. No. But yeah. now it's like, it's these. there's so many different tribute groups. Yeah. And they're good. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Uh, and uh, fortunately, this show is top tier and has played Carnegie Hall 14 times. Now, think about that. This show has played Carnegie Hall 14 times. Recently, the tribute played Carnegie Hall again. It was Bob's fourth time. As I read the bio from the Carnegie Hall program, I learned that he began his career in a Tijuana brass band. Now, I knew Bob had been in one with me, but could that have been his first band? 
That's it. The Touch of Brass. That was it, The Touch of Brass. Touch of Brass was a band that the music director at the high school put together. And you played drums initially. It was Harold Lively. Harold Lively, what a great guy. Yeah. Oh, I love the Herb Albert stuff. I still it do. It actually is good stuff. I have it on it? my favorites uh-huh. on my phone on yeah. iTunes. That's a long, long road you've traveled. Um, yeah, yeah. From the Tijuana Brass Band. Actually, at that time, I was with the Apollos, which turned into the Readings, and then Charlie Brown's All Stars. And you were good, Bob. You were so fast back then. Well, I, I've got a recording Kent Jackman gave me of. I think it was. Uh, Think of the name. Oh, Wipeout. Wipeout. And that drum solo. Uh, I used that on one of the uh, our class of 69's videos about 25 years ago. And the uh, audio engineer and producer who helped me said, who was that? Man, that guy was good. I said, guy I knew in high school. He says, man, was he good. You guys were like the premier musicians of all the those well, bands, you know. Well, you know, I think we worked the hardest mm-hmm. at what we did. And, you know, to be honest, if you would have told me in high school when I played at the bacon and pancake breakfasts in Lawrenceville, I would play Carnegie Hall four times, you really don't want to know what I would have said to him. <laughs> well, we probably couldn't use that here. <laughs> no, no, it would be bleeped out. You're listening to The Off-Ramp and an interview with Bob Potter, who plays Ringo in one of the nation's top Beatle tribute bands, 1964, The Tribute. We'll be back with more in just a moment. We return to The Off-Ramp with Bob Smith. Our interview subject today is Bob Potter, who portrays Ringo in one of the nation's top Beatle tribute bands, 1964, The Tribute. He's been a professional musician for four decades, which no doubt helped him get the role. But it probably doesn't hurt that Bob and his high school bandmates actually saw the Beatles perform in concert. Not once, but twice. And after one of those shows, they snapped a photograph of the group that made it into director Ron Howard's concert film, Eight Days a Week. We saw the Beatles in St. Louis. They stopped right in front of us. And John was on our side. The window was cracked. Uh I yelled at him, and he turned and looked at us. Kent Jackman took the picture. John was actually pulling away from us when Kent took the picture because I I think I jabbed him in the side of the arm, (laughs) and it became a little blurry, Uh you know? And it turned out to be the last picture on the film on the camera. So Kent took the picture, you know? And, of course, all three of us got him blown up. You know, everybody got copies of those, whatever. So we went our our own way in the world and lost contact for a while. Roger Jones found out that Ron Howard was interested in doing this movie eight days a week. Yeah. And And he basically harvested all kinds of stuff that people had for the touring years. He actually asked, if you think you have anything that can contribute greatly, Mm -hmm. please send it to me. Well... Roger Jones sent the picture in. And it became part of the film. Yeah. So what year was that? When did 66. They... 66. But we also saw him in, in uh, Chicago in 65. Oh, so you saw them twice? Yeah. Wow, that's saw great. twice. Does that knowledge that you saw them, does that inform your performance? I, I would say probably indirectly, uh-huh. not directly. So how did you prepare for your audition, and how did that come about? Well, actually, I was in two other shows before this one. 
The first one was a Legends show in Las Vegas, which had like a, an Aretha Franklin, a Buddy Holly, Elvis, a Richie Valens, okay. a, an Elvis. So it was like an all-star show. Yeah, and okay. I backed all them. With all the different drum styles. Yeah, and then they decided to get a John Lennon and a Paul McCartney together on stage, and they each would play their hits. And then the Buddy Holly at the time said, hey, I'm sure I could do George. We ought to give this a shot. So they did, and it worked, you know, for about six months. But the Beatle thing kind of faded down. And then I got this call from another group. They had just been picked up to play Legends in Concert, uh, which was at the Imperial Palace. And I was living in Las Vegas. And this guy found out about me. And I remained with that group for like six years. Wow. But we were in Imperial Palace for three months. And that company moved us from Las Vegas to Branson, Missouri. And we went into the theater where the Osmond Brothers were performing. And they went on hiatus. And um, this uh, lady that was working for the Osmond Brothers stayed there and turned out to be my wife. <laughs> I will not go any farther than that. I love you, Marty. So then how did you prepare for the audition? So you'd been playing Beatles stuff, so it wasn't like so unusual. Uh, okay, okay. What was going on with 1964, they were starting to look at videos to replace the drummer that they had. And the professional photographer that had been hired by our company, he and his wife saw the show that I was in in Atlantic City with the group that I was with for six years. And so he calls Mark Benson, who's the leader of our group, and he says, hey, you got to check this guy out. you got to add him to the, the people that you're looking at. So over about a three or four month period, they whittled it down to 15 people, and they chose me. This past September... I started my 10th year. The tribute lineup consists of Mark Benson, who plays John Lennon. We'd like you to join in on this last one, same as before, singing, yelling, dancing about, all of that. But we'd like you to do it a bit louder. You know, last one, make a noise, that sort of thing. It's called She Loves You. One, two. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Mark Benson, he has that bow-legged John Lennon stance at the microphone that the young Lennon always used. He's from Akron, Ohio. Mac Ruffing, also from Akron, portrays Paul McCartney. And on stage, he speaks with that gentle roller coaster Liverpudlian dialect that Paul McCartney was famous for. This first song is a song which is sung by George. It's called If I Needed Someone. Tom Work portrays lead guitarist George Harrison. And every time he moves up into the spotlight, he demonstrates the magic of George Harrison's little guitar solo touches and how much they contributed to the Beatles' sound. I told Tom that until his performance, I never realized George Harrison played all of those trademark licks. It really made me realize how important Harrison was to the group. And then, of course, there's Bobby. Bobby Potter, the drummer portraying Ringo Starr. Uh, it takes me an hour to get ready. Well, you showed me your Beatle wig here. Well, yeah, it's sitting right over there. Yeah. Um, I put on makeup. Now, I have to ask you this, because Ringo had a big nose. Yeah. Do you put on a prosthetic? I, I try to enlarge it a little bit. Okay. Uh, and the lights do the rest. You know, so if I lighten up certain areas of the nose. With makeup? Yeah, I was, I was taught how to do that okay. through the years. And the eyes, he had the sad eyes. Right. I, I used a little bit of eyeliner to do that. And basically pancake makeup, mm -hmm. you know, on the face. And then I paint on some waterproof sideburns. 
The tribute concert is a high-energy show with 90 minutes of Beatles music, and it's a very physical show for the drummer portraying Ringo Starr. Bob is only one year shy of my age, but I swear he has the physique of a 19-year-old. So how does he stay so trim, so in shape? Well, according to him, it's pretty simple. I have a bicycle and take brisk walks with our dog. Sometimes Bob says he does push-ups. Mornings he has a healthy breakfast along with a Nutribullet smoothie with three or four fruits. And he doesn't eat much. Dinner consists of high protein. If he has any late-night snacks, they're usually accompanied with yogurt. That's it. Just smart eating. No special diet. As for his professional training, he has an electronic drum with sensor pads. He wears headphones, and only he hears the sound. Where were those things when we were teenagers? And you've probably come in contact with a lot of uh, famous people. I have. Actually, when we played Carnegie Hall once, Jerry Seinfeld came to see us. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker brought her, her daughters. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, John Larroquette. They all I come mean, up and say hello to you? Uh, actually, there's After Party. And Jerry came to the After Party once. He's a big, big Beatle fan. He's a fan of you, too, then, I would assume. Well, this... yeah, I invited him the last time we played Carnegie. I went on Facebook and tried to send a message to him. And I said, you're cordially invited to, to come again, whatever. No response. <laughs> Over the years, the tribute has met a who's who of the music world, sharing the stage and shows with the Beach Boys, Chuck Berry, Rod Stewart, Cheap Trick, Dave Matthews, Smokey Robinson, James Taylor, Glenn Fry of the Eagles, Rod Stewart, Joe Walsh, and other greats. Alastair Taylor, the former president of Apple Records, raves about the show, saying, It was just like the boys. Never have I seen another group go to such detail. The resemblance was uncanny. It sent shivers down my spine. My friend Matt Partridge and I saw this show the following night at the Pabst Theater, and it was excellent. 1964 The Tribute has the powerhouse energy and feel of the young Beatles who stormed the stage of the Ed Sullivan Show and the live shows they did in the 1960s. At the Paps Theater, their fans filled the main floor and the first balcony as they did note and chord-perfect renditions of the Beatles' greatest hits from 1964 to 1966, even getting into the rubber soul and revolver hits like Taxman, Baby You Can Drive My Car, and In My Life. They had the audience from the first Beatle bow they did after the opening song. How many shows do you do in a year? I would say it's in the ballpark of anywhere from 80 to 90. Now, you're here tomorrow night in Milwaukee at the Paps Theater for one show, right? That's correct. Then where are you going from there? We're going to Detroit Sunday. And then I fly home Monday. I'm home Tuesday and Wednesday. And then I fly out on Thursday to Baltimore. And we have a show in Fredericksburg, Maryland. And then the following night, Woonsocket, Rhode Island. And the following night after that is in Manchester, New Hampshire. And then do you yeah. take take a, like a week or two off? Um, no, actually, we're pretty busy now, beginning of the year, and, and just continue on. Our break occurs late November, early December. We just had uh, three and a half weeks off to uh, charge our batteries, eat some good food, and visit with family. So you're playing all over the U.S. Can you tell me some of the venues you've played? Probably the most notable uh, has been Carnegie Hall. And uh, I have to let you know that the first time I walked out on that stage, I lost my breath. And that was just for sound check. There wasn't anyone there yet. You know, we were rehearsing with the uh, orchestra. The reason that happened was, is what they have done 
is they have preserved the wood, the original stage. And you see all of these, these spots underneath all the shellacking and the varnish or whatever they use to preserve it. And I'm thinking like, oh, that, that could have been a drop of sweat from Frank Sinatra. Well, wait a minute. Judy Garland stood over here with her mic stand. Isaac Stern sat here in his chair and played his violin. And then I look around, and what makes me lose my breath is not only the 3,200-seat theater, which is just absolutely beautiful, but what am I doing here? You know, that's the first thing that enters my mind. So the most notable, Carnegie Hall, Red Rocks in Denver, that's outside, and that's a naturally built amphitheater. amphitheater. Acoustically, it's natural. The rock, the sandstone, everything, the way it was designed and cut out, you can stand on stage without a microphone and talk, and they can hear you at the top. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, There's a really nice place in Dallas-Fort Worth, Bass Hall. The Skimmerhorn in Nashville, the Palladium in Indianapolis, the Paramount in New York. And you told me you have a tech, your, your engineer, you have the technology to make sure that no matter where you are, you are able to make that sound the same regardless of the venue. Uh, yeah, he, he has digitally recorded our settings, basically sound the same wherever we go. You play with orchestras. I didn't know you did that. Oh, yeah. And it's actually one of my favorites, but it's far and few in between. But when you're playing the Beatles music and you do the songs with the strings and the horns, there is nothing comparable live. So what numbers do you do live like that? Got to get you into my life. A lot of horns there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then with strings, Eleanor Rigby with no drums. I bet that's great. Oh, yeah. Those guys are just fantastic. They're phenomenal. It's just vocals and the orchestra, right? That's correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, They do it so good. Uh, It sends chills up my spine just thinking about it. And, of course, Yellow Submarine. You mentioned early on when we started this, you said, I love every night. I love performing. What do you like best about it? Seeing people smile. Noticing that they are really enjoying themselves. Um, Some guy came up to me a couple months ago and said, you know, I had a great time. Thanks for making me feel like a teenager for 90 minutes. That was, that's probably one of the nicest compliments I've ever heard. That is an excellent comment on yeah. this kind of thing. You say you're making a decent living and it's, it's enjoyable. Um, yeah, success has come late, but my genes are still rocking. Age to me is just a number. I don't feel as old as I am. Fortunately, I've been told I don't look as <laughs> old as I am. But, you know, a lot of it is in your head. You know, my dad lived to be 98. He was in an an assisted living home, and we got him a scooter after his knees gave out, an electric scooter. And he and his friend that lived across the hall from him had one too. Well, one day I got a call from my brother and said, you're not going to believe this, but our father just got reprimanded for speeding around the complex. (laughs) That's the guy you're going to be, Bob. (laughs) But my dad lived to be 98. He had all his faculties. I have some good genes, so yeah. I'm thankful for that. Yeah, still chugging along. You're yeah, right. Yeah, still Absolutely. chugging along and, and making people happy. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. I think that's the bottom line. Well, that's definitely what you guys are yeah. doing. So thank you so much for, uh, for being oh, here. Oh, you bet, man. As I said at the start, as kids, most of us have a vision of what we want to be. 
but few of us grow up to be exactly what we see. Bob Potter did just that. He watched Ringo Starr playing the drums. Today he portrays him in 1964, The Tribute. And that's the off-ramp for today. Hope you've enjoyed our interview with my friend, Bobby Potter. This is Bob Smith. The Off-Ramp with Bob Smith is produced in association with CPL Radio and the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin.